Johnny D, the motivational cowboy with this week's Outstanding Life podcast. I am with my friend Joshua Spears, and he's a motivational speaker, and he speaks all over the country about personal revolution. What's up, buddy? Hey, Johnny. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Outstanding, man. Oh, man. It's so good to actually have you here at the house and hang out and... um, and uh, I'm sure it's kind of nice for you to get away from everybody. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like a little vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, man, I know that that you are a great speaker. You've been speaking for a while now. You travel all over the country. But one thing that I told you that I could not wait to talk about, and that is I have never, ever, ever met a Mr. Mom. Yeah, and now I have actually met a Mister Mom, a dad that stays home, cooks, cleans, does everything for your wife when she comes home because she's out there working. And uh, how cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty <laughs> neat. I do have a distinction. I don't know. It's a distinction around my house that I'd make the world's best toast. So. <laughs> So, so my wife, my wife's a champ. She, she does a lot of great things for the family and she cooks better than me, cleans better than me, but I work, I work on doing the best. Sometimes with around the house, it's a lot of fun. You, you, you know, you feel like you need a snowblower to clean up the house, but. <laughs> well, you said that when you walked into my house, you're like a uh, very clean house, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> no kids living here, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And then there's a lot of things about it. You know, you take them to the gym and you get that two hours of the childcare center and that's like your time, you know? <laughs> and then when you decide to go to the grocery store, you're a race guy. Yeah. Yeah. So each one of the guy, each one of my guys, I have an eight year old, a six year old and a two-year-old, and the eight-year-old and the six-year-old both always want to push a shopping cart when we're at the grocery store. That's just how they are. <laughs> well, you're, you're a race fan, so you know Days of Thunder. Yeah, you remember absolutely. Remember that scene where Cole Trickle and Rowdy Burns both rented a car? Yeah. That's what it's like in the grocery <laughs> store with my kids. Now, wait a second. You have Charlie, Danny, and, and Benji. Yep. So which two are the racers? Charlie and Danny are the racers. Okay. So I'm sitting there looking at a cucumber, and I hear, bang, and it's the shopping carts hitting each other. So, so listen, how many years ago did you give up the corporate uh, setting to, to, you know, I mean, go home and start speaking Mm -hmm. and when you're not speaking, you literally are the man of the house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it took, it took some planning and of course my wife's support, you know, my wife believing in me is, has been the key to this whole thing. Yeah. Um, as you, as you work to grow this thing, but I've been speaking, I've been getting checks for it since 2010 is when I started making some money. So eight years. Yeah. So I I did some, I did some before that, but then, then I didn't do it for a while, but, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting journey working on, you know, trying to do that. And then one thing that I've found is I, I meet, the mommy militia when I go to pick the kids up. There, there's, yeah, because I'm sure that there's not a whole lot of dads nope. that pick up the kids. No, nope. you meet the mommy militia and, and you know you think about what they do, and I have a newfound respect for that because yeah. there's so much that goes into picking them up and dropping them off and all that kind of stuff. But I also look at it as a great privilege because I get the opportunity to have my cake and eat it too. In yeah. the past, I was working a lot and it was pretty crazy, but. I feel I feel like I'm building somebody's husband. I'm building somebody's father with my boys. Yeah, that's so awesome. I, I I treat that as a privilege to be able to spend time with them because it truly is. It's a lot of work and it can be stressful. So let me ask you this: What is your favorite chore to do around the house? My favorite chore, yeah, without a doubt. No question about it. It's mowing the lawn. <laughs> now, is that because you can't hear nobody else yelling, daddy, daddy, daddy? <laughs> or is that because you just love, because I will say that is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. I don't do it much anymore, Yeah. but it's always when I have, okay, let's put it this way. When, when, when nobody, I have somebody come and cut my grass. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I cut my daughter's grass every week. Right. <laughs> There's just something about the smell of grass. Right. And the, I mean, all of that. So I agree with you. What is your least favorite chore to do around the house? When, when you get up in the morning, you're like, Oh, because you know, there's a lot of women right now thinking he better say this or he yeah. better say that. Well, it's a really close race. 
okay? It's really close between the laundry and the dishes. It's a really close race. And I think ultimately the dishes would probably be better than the laundry because with three boys, my wife and myself, right. that's a lot of folding. And then the boys are close in age, so you're trying to figure out whose socks are these, whose underwear are these, whose shirt is this? Hey, Charlie, is this your shirt? Or is it? No, it's Danny's. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, so that's, that's probably my least favorite. Does your wife let you do her laundry? Yes. Because I know a lot of guys... That they do laundry and they actually like doing laundry, mm-hmm. but the wife was don't touch my stuff at yeah. all. She she's like, I'm glad that I'm not doing it. So yeah, she lets me do her laundry. So that is awesome. So how did you and your wife have been married? How long? We've been married 11 years this coming September. How, how did how did you end up meeting this lovely woman that's in your life now? Well, me meeting my wife gives new meaning to the term a blind squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> I met my wife after I was I was 28 years old and I hadn't had a girlfriend since 10th grade just for a couple months. Yeah. And I went and I applied for a job that I didn't get and it was in a promotion with my company and I was pretty bummed and so I I put some stuff out online I opened up a Yahoo Personals account. And fun, the funny thing about it is I didn't put a picture on there or anything. And I, I sent out a couple icebreakers. And the only reason I did it is because I felt like with my career, I was kind of just pouring everything into that. I felt like I was wasting my life. And so short. So you tried the online dating thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we have. We actually that's how we met is online. We never chatted. back. <laughs> Wait a forth. second. You met your wife online dating. So that really actually works. Well, the blind squirrel found a nut. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm just curious yeah. now. Which one was it? What's that? What site? Oh, I was Yahoo Personals. I didn't. Even, oh, okay. I didn't even have a a, a profile page, of, and 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 then I got a message from her saying maybe we'll meet for coffee. And I'm thinking, what kind of crazy girl is going to meet some guy <laughs> for coffee? She doesn't even have a picture of him. <laughs> And I met her in I met her a week and a half after the interview that I have job that I did not get. Right, right. Um, and I I met her in August. I proposed to her in December. We were married the next the following September. It's it was pretty. Wait a second. Say that again. Just say that again. Sure. I met. I, you I had, met her. How I, long? I had the interview on July twentieth. Yep. I met her on August fourth. I proposed on Christmas Eve. <laughs> And I got married the following September 14th. If my wife's listening to this, yes, I do know our anniversary. Wow. Holy Toledo. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I just, now, you knew, I knew, I knew right away that this, this is the one for me. And it yeah. was one of those things that I feel in a lot of cases when I meet my friend, I talk to my friends about their relationships and their marriages. I feel like I'm cheating the system because we still, we've been married that long and we still haven't had our first fight. Really? You know, it's really just amazing. And it's, it's just, it's, I'm breathless when I think about her. It's, it's, it's just such a really cool thing. You know? Do you guys still find, cause they always say, cause I'm not married and they always say that there, you have to find time mm-hmm. for date night mm-hmm. or just to get away. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. guys do that? Yeah, we do. We, we, it gets increasingly more difficult as the kids get into activities. A little bit older, yeah, older. But you have to make priorities for each other, you know, make time to listen to the person, what they, or listen to her, and she listens to me, and we go back and forth. And then we don't do date nights as much as a lot of people probably do because everything we do is usually with our kids. Right. But, you know, we just, you know, sign up for a thing through the church. Every yeah. week we're going to go and, and, and have dinner and, 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 and learn and stuff like that. So we awesome. have to be strategic about it because it doesn't happen by itself. What's the last? gift you bought your wife <laughs> now those of you i'm giving him a second right here because his eyes got like super huge going that was not on the questionnaire that you were going to ask me <laughs> and he's blushing right now <laughs> man that's one area about being a husband i am not good at johnny he's like, he's like listen i bought steaks and chicken last yeah. week there you go <laughs> she likes fruit on the bottom yogurt okay <laughs> Now, 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 was that tough? Were you a good cook prior to being a Mr. Dad? I wasn't a good cook, and I'm still not a good cook. Really? I, my wife just doesn't have very high expectations. <laughs> so does, does she still come home, and, and she's like, wow, you know what? Thank you. Yes. Yes, she does, and she comes home, and something that I put together that is anyone who has any real culinary ex- would say this is a disaster. She, she, I think she respects the effort. <laughs> And so do you barbecue? Like, okay, we're guys, man. Yeah. So, and I know I love to barbecue. Yeah. 
So do you barbecue everything or do you actually try to cook? I usually barbecue most things. There's a lot of, you know, recipes on the back of boxes and Pinterest. And to be honest with you, most wait, wait, did you just say Pinterest? I get it for her. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, you I, Do you have your own Pinterest account? No. <laughs> just to be transparent, all of the dishes that I've ever made that ever came out right resulted in her giving me a list when I went to the grocery store. It's called the blue box. Yeah, she gave me a <laughs> yeah. list and then... She gives me a, a sheet, and it's got all the different options of all the different things I bought, and I pick a recipe out of the, the pile for that week, and then I make that item. That's when it turns out good. If it's all up to me, it's sometimes it's hot dogs and mac and cheese. She's Together. Like, that's, that's for the kids, man. Like, yeah, well. You have three boys. Yes. What's the craziest story that has happened to you lately? The craziest story happened to me lately. Yeah, with your three boys. And, and, okay, I, I'll help you out here. I called you the other day and you said, dude, oh, yeah. I would love to talk to you. I can't because I'm running around right now because your son got poison ivy and he got it in his yeah. eye. Yeah. And I was like, "You listen, it, anybody else, I would think that you were making this stuff up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, what, I mean, is that like just something that occurs all the time with three boys? It does happen. You know, <laughs> stuff, stuff comes up, you know, and, and, and what happened is there was a birthday party. And a Nerf gun got got purchased for our family, you know, with those little bullets. Yeah. And which in my house, for some reason, they still call them billets. I don't know. But anyway, one of the billets ended up in the tree and my son went after it. So 10, 11 o'clock, me and my wife started noticing that he had uh, poison ivy on his face and on his chest and all over the place. So we had to call one of those, a teledoc and... And then they, they, they sent me to a pharmacy and the pharmacy was closed and it wasn't open. And then I had to sit there for an hour and a half where the pharmacy was, the pharmacist was looking at me like, you're crazy. And like, you know, what would be crazy is me going home without the medicine. That's what would be crazy. Now, now is it one of those things that, that your wife looks at you and she says, you're going, I got to work in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. But you know, in all honesty, she doesn't even have to say it because I know, right. you know, I, I, I know that she does. And in, the, in that case there, I, you, I did a lot of the running around, but she still gets up and checks on them. And because she's just an amazing mother. So it, congratulations on being a great father though. Yeah. Um, it wasn't long ago. Someone said to me, they're like, you know, you like to say that you're a good dad. I said, you're darn right. Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. I work my butt off. Mm -hmm. To try to be a good dad. Yep. I, I, I try to do everything I can. And my daughter's 26 years old. Mm -hmm. And I still, every single day, wake up and she's the first thing on my mind. It's God first and my family second. And, mm -hmm. and it's so important that um, that we realize that as men that, you know what, it, it has nothing to do with money. Mm -hmm. Being a good father is just spending time with mm -hmm. your children. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's awesome. So, yeah. you know what? Thank you for being the first guy that I've ever met personally yeah. that literally, you know, takes care of everything at the house. So congratulations on, on being such a great dad. Listen, you tell a story in your presentation and um, I have not yet got to hear you live yet, but I've seen mm -hmm. a lot of video and stuff on you and you tell this one story and you call it the TV story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. T tell me about the TV okay. story. Well, it started, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, several years ago, I came home from the gym one day and my wife met me at the door and she was crying and my wife isn't, she's not high maintenance. She's not overly emotional. So I knew something was going on. I said, honey, you know, what, what's the matter? What's, what's going on? And she goes, Charlie broke the TV. Now keep in mind, we had just gotten a brand new TV. Mm -hmm. It was eight, $900. It was 60 inch TV and, and he took one of those little small Fisher Price balls mm -hmm. and he went, he threw it against the TV and he cracked the screen. And I said, well, you know, it's just a TV. So I went in the other room and a couple minutes later, she came in the other room and I was in that room laughing. And she said, what's so funny? And I said, well, I was laughing about the TV. She says, what's so funny about a destroyed TV? The thing's brand new. And I said, well, I'll, I'll tell you about it some other time. But when I was in the room and I was thinking about that TV, mm -hmm. it took me back to another season of my life. The, the season it took me back to, I was nine years old. And my mom had tried leaving my dad on numerous occasions because he was very violent and abusive to us. And this time she left, it was a little different. We went to a place called the safe house. Okay, so yep. it, It's a, safe, a place with bars on the windows and buttons where people can push them and the cops will be there. A place that abused families can go to be safe. And after we were there for a day or two, she took me into our room and sat me down on this bunk bed. 
And she was sitting across from me, and I was on the bunk bed, and she said, Josh, I have to leave your dad. And I said, in every way I could as a nine-year-old, how much I hate you, you know, mm-hmm. and I hated her for it. And, and then she explained to me how I have to show you that this isn't how you treat your family. Right. I have to show your brother and sister that this is not right. This is not normal. And as a, I was nine years old and I looked at my mom and I told her, I made a vow to her, it's ending in my generation. And that became, a life, awesome. <clears throat> that became a life goal for me, something that I worked for my entire life, all the challenges I had. And when I realized that my response to a brand new TV that had been destroyed was, well, it's just a TV, I realized that I had kept that promise. I had kept that promise I made, that <laughs> vow I made to my mom. And it, I feel like it's very powerful in the sense that I remembered what my dad would have done. And, and that would have been an, a, a situation that would have resulted in a big mess. And yeah. So I tell that story because it shows the contrast from where you grow up and how the things you're dealing with. And then as you get older, sometimes as a parent and as an adult, you have an opportunity to stop and look back and see where you came from and see what made you who you are. And that was just an amazing moment for me. So I share that with my audience because it gives them an opportunity to understand what the power of having personal revolutions and and, and making changes in our life and confronting those things. Absolutely. What did your wife say when you actually explained to her? She was probably still mad about the TV. She, huh? Yeah, she was. She was on the phone. She's like, "Hey, yeah, that's great. You know, yeah, yeah. You 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 went back to your, you know when you were nine, yeah. but you know the TV still broke." Well, she she did, and and we we talked about trying to call homeowners. Of course, they laughed at us, and then you know ultimately she turned it into a big joke because out of it I ended up getting a bigger TV. So <laughs> she acted like me and my son were in cahoots together. So so you talk about your your childhood. And you talk about the challenges. So I'm just going to go ahead and get right into this. Um, what was it like for you growing up? Well, I grew up in a, as I said, an abusive home. You know, I had a lot of situations with, with my dad that were very damaging. To now, were you the only child? No, okay. I'm the oldest of three. I have a, bro- a sister who's four years younger and a brother who's six. And I grew up in that environment with a lot of violence in the home. And I learned over time how to deal with my emotions through acting out and rage. And, and that's one thing I share with audiences is about how our self-esteem can get assassinated. So you're saying acting out just like your father probably acted out. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. I just want to under, I I, I want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. That's all. Yeah. Well, so for example, I, I went, when I went to school, I was the freak. I was the fat kid. I grew up in a dysfunctional home, poor kid, food stamps, all that fun stuff. And it wasn't so fun actually. And I was picked on constantly by bullies, they were they were constantly making fun of my weight and, and all these different things. And so what, what I did is I started acting out, which made them treat me worse. And then before long, I started realizing, hey, I'm bigger than a lot of these kids. So mm-hmm. I became the judge, the jury, and the executioner. I was the ultimate bully. And the stuff I did to, to other kids is just, it just makes me sad even as an adult to think about it. And as a result, over time, what happened is I started getting suspended a lot from school. And eventually I got expelled from multiple schools. I got expelled from five different schools. Wow. For my How behavior. old were you when, when that was happening? If you the, don't mind me asking. The final school was in the sixth grade. Okay. Wow. And, so yeah. you were young. Yeah. And then I spent all my middle school years in a at the time, it was a detention school, um, but nowadays they would consider it an alternative school. And it was back back then they had a cell basically, and it had a deadbolt, big things across the doors and bars. And I, I got put in the cell several times. And anytime you're flipping out and going crazy, you'd get put in that cell. So that that was where I spent most of my middle school years. Um, you know, just because you know the things I did that happened to me at home, those those that damage lasted a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of years of my life. As, Absolutely. As a young boy, you have your dad, you know, telling you that you're stupid or you're you're too fat or all these different things, and then you take that and then you go to school and you hear the same thing. Those scars. You start to believe it. You do start yeah. to believe it. Absolutely. You start to listen to the lies. You know, I um, it's funny why why you're saying that. I I said to somebody not long ago. I said um. Because me people just, I mean, I'll say it, mean people suck, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and it's terrible that we never realize what somebody else is going through. Mm-hmm. We look from the from the outside looking in, and we think, well, there's nothing wrong with them; mm-hmm. they're just acting like this. Mm-hmm. But we have no idea what's really going on with mm-hmm. somebody on the inside. Well, the other day, somebody said something to me, and they said, "Well, tell me something about you." 
that we don't know. I said, I'm a very shy guy. And they're like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get up in front of thousands of people every single week. And I said, no. I said, that's the one thing. See, again, you think you know me, but mm-hmm. you only see what is on the outside of me. Mm-hmm. But I don't speak until I'm spoken to. And people sometimes take that as as being stuck up and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I just don't go out of my way to walk up to people and just start talking to mm-hmm. them. I'm just shy because I sometimes it goes back to people telling me I will never amount to much. Mm-hmm. And here I am in, am right now in my mid-40s, and that still bothers me mm-hmm. to this day. Once in a while, I'll hear something, and it triggers something going, yeah, yeah I, I am that guy. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I have to re, you know, get, motivate myself and inspire myself and say, no, I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a different person. So you're, you're absolutely right. At, at some point, though, um, when, when you were going through all that, um, we get inspired by different people. Mm-hmm. Um, to get us out of that place, that dark place, mm-hmm. who was that person for you? Well, I, I had several, you know, it takes a village sometimes, Absolutely. you know, without a dad. And, and I had, a, you know, my stepdad. I mean, there's a lot of home influences. My stepdad is a, a, a hero. Uh, he, he, he married a woman with three kids, one in an alternative school. And, you know, in my book, I talk about the, the role he played in, in reshaping me and in, in going after the hard ones. And I had teachers all along the way that were sowing seeds. Yep. But there was one teacher that came along that was able to see a lot more of the harvest of all those seeds. And that's one thing as I talk to teachers is a lot of times they can identify with my story because they have a kid in their class that reminds them of me and my story. So a lot of these teachers along the way were sowing seeds and they didn't see any fruit. Well, I went as in this alternative school and I met this, this teacher was an awesome guy. We had a very common bond of, we love sports. So he was a, uh, baseball coach for the local high school. And he asked me, you know, if you behave, maybe would you like to be the water boy? And at this point, I, you were what you were in what grade? Seventh. seventh. Okay. Seventh seven, grade. grade. You know, my life's a train wreck. You know, I'm, I'm riding an hour and a half to this school and, and, and he's just taking a chance on me and, yeah. and it gives me this opportunity. And, and I said, well, what's involved? And he goes, well, you know, we go to the games, we get to leave school early and I'm in. <laughs> Another thing I learned too, Johnny, is that, you know, after the games, we'd go to McDonald's a lot. So that was, <laughs> that was cool. And it was paid for. Yeah, that was a, that was a good thing. So I was at, the, I was being the water boy for this baseball team and I got a chance to spend some time with quote unquote normal kids. Yeah. And, and it was really inspiring for me. And one day I was sitting in the dugout and this gentleman comes up to me and he, he starts talking to me about my situation and my life. And I, I've seen the guy around before. I had no idea who he was. And he goes, you have a big frame. You should be playing football. And I said, well, you know, I'm in this alternative school. I, I, they don't have football. Yeah. My hometown doesn't have football. I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. Right. He goes, well, if, I was able to work it out where you could play. Keep in mind, at this time, they didn't have middle school football okay. around. It was very rare. Yeah. He said, if I, if, you, if I work it out, would you behave and not embarrass me? And would you do well in school if I could work it out? And I said, good luck. Good, good luck. But, but yeah. I would. So a short time after that, him and- Wow, that's so powerful. I, dude, yeah. I'm just- You've listened to most of my podcasts, yeah. and, and I always talk about those moments that I get like chill bumps, but for some guy that doesn't even flipping know nope. you to say, you know what? I believe in you. Yeah. I don't know you, mm-hmm. but don't embarrass me, and I will help you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, man, but that's that's flipping awesome. Go it, ahead. It, I'm it, sorry it, to interrupt well, you, but that's just flipping th- awesome. Well, the thing about it is, just a quick sidebar in that story, is how many people in our lives right now are waiting for us? to throw them that lifeline. Yeah. You know, how many people that we run into at, at work, at school, you know, maybe, maybe we're a supervisor. We have, we have employees that maybe need an extra, uh, an olive branch, you yeah. know? So, so this gentleman threw me this olive branch. And so I can honestly tell you from that day forward, well, a short, a short time after that, they had a meeting and they worked it out with all the schools. But right at that point, I can honestly tell you that I never got to put in detention again. I never got suspended again. And I, my, my behavior changed almost instantly because I, I had this, I had something better to do. And that's yeah. the thing with a lot of people today, whether you're an adult or a student is 
a lot of times the things we do that are silly or that are destructive are because we don't have anything better to do. Yeah. So I finally had in my life something better to do. I got a chance to see <laughs> I got a chance to see life past being this throwaway kid as I saw myself. And well, what was it like for you to go home to your mom and stepdad <clears throat> and say, "Hey, guess what? Mm-hmm. Guess what? Yeah. I might play football." Yeah. It was that had to be like one of those proud moments as a, a, a seventh grader. It was it was almost disbelief, Johnny. <laughs> it was almost disbelief because I I'd never I couldn't believe it. I couldn't I'd never saw myself as someone who could do anything other than be a screw up. So did you end up playing football? Yes, I did. So it's, what was it like when you, when you first went out there and you you were probably like, what the heck? This is a lot of work, right? It was a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot of work, but it was one of those things that I got a taste for it. Yeah. And I can honestly say, I mean, in my program, I talk about what happens through my football career, but I I, I got a taste for it. And I decided right then and there that this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And, and that dream and that passion literally saved my life yeah. because when I started Pete, no people, and I don't mean to interrupt, but people have those aha moments mm-hmm. or th- those moments in their life that literally something changes. Yeah. They, they look at themselves in the mirror and they, mm-hmm. that's going to stop. Or, you know what, this is going to work yep. or, you know what, whatever. Was that that moment? Yeah. I, I call those moments personal revolution okay. because it's that aha moment, that moment where you get it, the moment you understand, you see something for the first time. Yeah. And so I started to see myself as someone who could do something more than just screw up. And so the end of the football season came and this coach was really nice and he was trying to get me to go to his school. But by this point, my behavior had improved where I was going to go back to the public school. Uh And he goes, well, I know we're going to lose you, but here. And he gave me a flyer for a football camp for a a division one school near me. And, and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to try to do this. So I took some lawn jobs and, and mowed lawns for people. And I paid my way to this football camp and I was going through the, the, going to the camp and I was just in awe. I mean, there's this big stadium and this, these amazing buildings. And finally one day on the way back to practice, this guy came up to me and he said, you're, you're a big kid. Where do you live? And I told him, and he ended up telling me that he was the recruiter for my, my area. And he goes, are you doing good in school? And I said, well, I can be. And he goes, well, maybe someday I'll be recruiting you. And so that became my goal. That became wow, my that's pretty cool. I'm going to play football for that guy. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, I, I might not have been, as, as I tell the kids in the audience, is I wasn't necessarily even the best player on my team, but I was driven and I was stubborn enough that I made a decision that I was going to go there. And four years later, the guy's in my school recruiting me to go play football for him. What position did you play? Offensive line. At right. college, I was a scout team. Okay. Because my college time was relatively short. What was injuries. high school like for you? I mean, you talked a little bit about your middle school mm-hmm. and how you you know, you know, you had your challenges. Mm-hmm. Did your challenges stop after you went to high school? You know, that's a really good question because I think it, it presents a thing that a lot of us run into. My goal and the vision I had for my life helped me ignore a lot of the challenges I had. I still had a lot of issues with self-esteem. I still had a lot of issues with my attitude, but I, I cling to this dream and this, this goal and it was everything for me. So it, in a lot of ways, it helped me get out of where I was, but it was like a bandaid on a wound that needed to be sewn up. Right. It, it, yeah. it didn't fix it, but it got me out. Um, and then later on down the road, I, I, I had to, to, to face those issues, but you know, in high school, I I wasn't didn't get in trouble. I stayed out of trouble because I had that that goal, you know, yeah. that vision of what I wanted to be. So wow. Mm-hmm. So did you make it to uh, the college level and play? <clears throat> yeah, I, I I made it. I made it there. I got I got on the team, and 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 this is where this is where the the cotton ball start or the ball starts to unravel a little bit. Uh, I had my freshman year. It was a rough ride. I was. Went from being the biggest kid on the field to just another kid on the field. Right, because you, know? you go to college, they're all big. <laughs> yeah, they're all big. And so so it was rough. And then the end of the year, I, I broke my foot playing basketball after my freshman season. And I had to miss all the spring practice. Then I was walking through a parking lot, and I broke the same foot again. And I kept working out in the pool, trying to trying to save this dream. And who I was started to feel like it was under attack. And who I was was this football player. And and if I'm not this football player, then I'm that kid that I was when, before I met football. And it was such a 
such a devastating time. And so then I decided I was going to transfer to a uh, division two school. Okay. I would play quicker. I got there and I broke the bone again oh. with my, with, with the screw around the screw. So the doctor told me I had to start playing golf. And so, <laughs> so at that point, Johnny, I was, I was at this absolute despair. And that's when I just went completely out of control. I, I started blowing off my classes. I went, I dropped my grade point average, dropped down to a 1.2. Yeah. And uh, that, you ain't going to play football with that. Well, I, I had, couldn't play because of the injuries. And yeah. I, I, I was over 400 pounds. Um, I went to the doctor for, you know, depression and my weight. And I, it just, it was just, my whole life was spiraling out of control. And, and I started to feel like that little kid, fat kid that was worthless and all the things when I was a youth and there was no big dream to save me this time. Yeah. I had already overcame so many things that it made that season of my life incredibly dark. And that's why when I'm talking to audiences, this is a season of my life where, you know, I started to ask myself, is tomorrow better without me in it? Right. Did you get yourself um, in any trouble because you were in that dark place? I got or my, did you did you stay out of trouble and you just felt like that and you held it inside? Yeah, I got I got I never got in any legal trouble. I got myself in you know trouble with you know I got a letter from the school because I was on academic probation, right. financial aid probation. But as far as legal trouble, I was fortunate. I didn't get any of that because I was more at that point in my life. I was more about self destruction yeah. than I was destroying anyone else. Joshua, you you just said something a few minutes ago, and I wanted to to make sure that I. Uh, I said this, and I was thinking about this, and you said I was like a piece of cotton starting to unravel. Mm -hmm. But it made me think about a piece of cotton that unravels. Mm -hmm. And a piece of cotton that unravels makes a shirt, mm -hmm. makes a pair of pants. So at what point did you finally have that turning point mm -hmm. where you took that unraveled cotton mm -hmm. and you turned it into something because mm -hmm. you found a dream again? Right. Well, I took a class. Uh, one of the classes I took, it was only because it fit in my time slot. I mean, you know, <laughs> so it's not because you wanted no. it. It's just because it fit in their time. I slot. I had no interest in the class. I took it simply because it fit the time slot. And, and I went, walked into this class and this professor started talking about communication theory and he started talking about the self and, and, and how we see ourselves and the perception. I'm like, okay, so communications one-on-one, this is supposed to be about speaking. It was nothing to do with speaking. Right. <laughs> so I, the stuff he was saying started resonating. So I started having conversations with him after class and I started to talk to him about being depressed. And he goes, well, you, you're depressed, huh? And I said, yeah. And he goes, how's that working out for you? And I'm like, what do, what do you mean? I'm depressed. He goes, well, how's it working out for you? You're going to, you're going to stay depressed or you're going to, what are you going to do? You yeah. know? And, and he really started to challenge everything I said about myself that was negative, yeah. all the things that I didn't like about myself, he started to challenge. And he turned me on to a whole bunch of books. And I started to learn about self-esteem and I started to learn about self-perception. And then I started to realize that I was looking at my past and I, I'm sure Johnny, you have challenges in your past where sometimes we look at our past as this ball and chain we're carrying. And sometimes for some of us, it is, we have yeah. a but if we have a personal revolution and we come to ourselves and we understand things, we can take that ball and chain and we can turn it into rocket fuel. Absolutely. And you said that you said the key word right there, the key phrase, and you said understand. Yeah. But as men, we have egos. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those egos get in our way. Sure. But you have to step back, mm -hmm. realize, mm -hmm. hey, you know what? I understand why I'm acting like this yeah. or why I did that yeah. or and why I'm gonna move forward. Yeah. Well, just like in the workplace, if you're teaching somebody a new process. You want to understand the whys. Yeah. Why? So why was I so screwed up? Yeah. Why did I hate myself? Why did I hate who I was? And so I started to do some research and I started to learn about... You started to understand yourself, I, right? I, yes. I saw, I went and I met with my grandmother, my dad's mom, and I started to learn more in detail about his childhood. And then I started to realize that most of my self-esteem came from him and that he, he was he was not a reliable source right. to weigh in on who I am. Right. You know, and so once I started to realize that, that's when I came up with personal revolution because I realized that my entire life I had been believing a lie yeah. about myself. So wait a second, you weren't even speaking yet. No. But you realized it then. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's awesome, man. Yeah. That is so cool that 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 you can go back and realize that hey, you know what? That was happening for a reason. Yeah. To set me up for yeah. this big dream that I don't even know that I have yet. Exactly. And exactly. that is being a speaker and yeah. being able to talk about these yeah. things. So you start to learn about yourself. Mm -hmm. 
after that, what happened? Well, you know, as as a we did you about, finish college? Yeah, yeah, I finished. I finished college in four years, or well, I took a semester off <laughs> after, in the middle of, before I met that professor. Yeah, um, but I was able to, you know, the the concept with personal revolution. The reason why it's so neat is because instead of thinking I have to go to class, I started to think I get to go to class. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of thinking I need to go to the gym, I get to go to the gym. I'm healthy enough to get a sweat going. Mm -hmm. You start looking at everything differently because of one aha moment that you have. Yeah. And so I said, but in life we have multiple aha we moments. Do. We do. I've read several articles that we have six to 10 moments in our life that come to us. We learn something, we understand something right. and a lot of times has been right in front of us and it changes the trajectory of our life. Yeah. But you and have to understand it. You do. That's it. Yep. You just have to understand it. Yep. So you obviously don't weigh 400 pounds now. Right. You, you, you lost a lot of that yeah. weight. At, at what point in your life did, did, you know, after college you, I'm sure what you got a job. Yeah. Yeah. So then I started working, I got out of, I got out of college and at that point I decided that I wanted to. And you were to, feeling pretty good about yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you were a little bit different. Yeah. I was still struggling with my weight. Um, it's my weight, something I've always, you know, you know, I've always had challenges with, but I, I got out of college and I decided I wanted to help people. So I started doing, you know, speaking at Kiwanis clubs, rotary clubs, middle schools. This was, this was, this doesn't count the 10 years I told you before. Cause that was when I was just dabbling. And then I did a talk for a guy who, you know, worked for a company and he offered me a job and my student loans were coming due. Wait so a second. I, so you started speaking mm -hmm. when you got out of college. Yes. I spoke, I actually spoke before that, to be honest. When was your very first presentation? The very first time I ever spoke in front of people that wasn't like a speech class or something. Right. I went back when I was in high school, I went back to my alternative school. Right. That I, they were having a Thanksgiving party for, at this alternative school. And I went back there and the teachers were, they, for some reason, they treated me like I was a star. <laughs> like, but, but I didn't realize they saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. Exactly. That's why. Yeah, and so then they 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 come to find out I was the only kid since they started that program that actually worked his way out. Most of the kids either dropped out at sixteen or they tried to graduate from there with a GED. Mm -hmm. They said, "Josh, would you talk to our school?" I'm sitting there wolfing down turkey. Right. And, and I said, well, yeah, well, you, sure. you, you mean like a week or two later? No. They said, they said, will you talk to our, will you talk to our school? And I'm sitting there talking to this teacher I had and we're going back and forth. So would you talk to our school, the whole school? And I'm like, sure. So they got, they got them all. They had, they, had, they, they tricked you into yeah. speaking there. Yeah. So they, they got all the kids and all the teachers and all the administrators and everybody in the gym and they gave me a microphone and, and I just started talking. What and was that? What was that like for you? It was a moment where I realized that my pain could help people. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. How, um, comedians and, and speakers say the same thing. And, and I say, you know what? I get to use my life experiences every single day mm -hmm. and talk about them. Mm -hmm. And um, it's amazing to me how good you feel when you're done talking. Yeah. I mean, years ago when the economy took a dump and stuff like that, I got in a lot of trouble with the IRS. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of trouble. I was almost $40,000 in debt. Wow. And um, now speaking like I had my life together. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you get this letter. I, you know, I mean, I'm sure just like you, I mean, we believe in good karma. You put mm -hmm. out good karma, you get good karma, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, got, I was putting out a lot of good karma that I got a nice little letter from the IRS and they seized my accounts and everything else. I had to do a really big presentation for a big company. And um, I was like, who am I to get up and motivate these people when I don't even have my life together? Mm-hmm. So I thought, how am I going to get through this? How am I how am I even going to start the program when I'm feeling this way on Saturday? And you know exactly mm -hmm. what I mean. You 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 don't feel worthy, right? Mm -hmm. So I did what every man does. I got up there in front of 500 people and I said, "Hey, listen, um, how many people believe in good karma?" And everybody raised their hand. I said, "Yeah, I believe in good karma too." Matter of fact, I put out so much good karma that I got a nice letter from the IRS two weeks ago that I'm in trouble with thirty nine thousand dollars. Does anybody have an extra thirty nine thirty nine grand laying around, <laughs> or or a good tax attorney? And everybody start laughing, right? Right. I I just felt at ease at that point. Mm -hmm. I went out with my presentation. It was great. This is where it gets important to me. A man walks up to me and he says, uh, come here, you got a minute? I'm like, absolutely, because that was a great presentation. He goes, was the beginning a joke or was it true? I said, I wish it was a joke. I said, I'm in big trouble. He goes, let me, he goes, are you kidding me? 
$39,000, you're in trouble? Listen, son, quarter of a million dollars, I'm in trouble with tax. I was like, all of a sudden, I, st- I had an aha moment. Like, oh, yeah, 39 grand, I yeah. can pay that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give me a year, I'll pay it off, right? Sure. The next guy pulls me aside. Over a half million dollars in, in IRS debt. The next guy that pulled me aside, over a million dollars lost his wife, kids, houses, everything. And it made me realize it's only money. Mm-hmm. I was happy. Mm-hmm. Happy. Now, you're, now you're, you're looking at me right now. I was happy to send in that check every two weeks to the IRS. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because I paid it off. Mm-hmm. I paid it off because you know what? It was only thirty nine thousand dollars. It was only money. Who got me? Who got me in trouble? Me. Right. I couldn't blame nobody else. Right. But following a dream, sometimes you get yourself in trouble and you yeah. don't do things right. And you know what? I was happy to pay my debt back. Yeah. But it, but it was amazing mm-hmm. to me how many other people mm-hmm. saw that and laughed and said, "That's all you have." Yeah. So they they saw it completely different. Yeah. So I agree, man. Well, a lot of times you know this as a speaker, you know, a lot of times you don't realize that when you're up there talking, there's reasons why you go through things. And, you know, by you having the courage to share something that's very personal and makes you very vulnerable to that audience, it's funny, yes, but what was the impact it had on those guys? Oh, absolutely. You know, what what did it do for them and how did it make them feel? And 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 then as they listen, they see you doing that, and then they so the a lot of times the things we're going through, we're going through them and it sucks, man. But yeah. you know what? At the end of the day, you're helping someone else that you don't know what, what they're going through. And that, that's what's cool about what you did is because you turned it into an opportunity to help other people. Josh, there are kids out there right now listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Maybe young young girls in, in high school, middle school, elementary school. Um, I speak at schools to this day. You speak at schools to this day. But not only kids, it's adults too, because mm-hmm. we're all kids at heart. What advice can you give somebody right now that is going through exactly the same pain that you went through mm-hmm. then? I would say to be very cautious of allowing yourself to fall into the trap of allowing what other people do to you, what other people say to you, to define your value. Because ultimately, when it comes to as adults, when it comes to, to kids, all of us, we're in that, you know, to be human is to feel inferior. And the first thing that needs to happen with someone who's going through a bunch of adversity is they have to really challenge where are they getting their value from? Are they getting it from somebody who has no right? You know, I, I, in some of the talks I talk about, if a, a person living on the street comes up and tells you how to make millions, you're going to laugh at them because they live in a box. Right. So if you if you have someone who's dysfunctional telling you that you're worthless or telling that you that you're never going to make it or telling that you that you're an ultimate failure, they're a liar. And the this the the when we start to learn that we get to choose how we see ourselves. So the first, so I would say who is shaping how you see yourself and who can you find that can help you reshape it? In your life, was is it good books? Is it is it is it a friend at school? Is it a parent? Is it an uncle? Somebody in your life that can say, you know what, you've made some errors, but you know what, you are awesome. You matter. So if whoever's listening, if you feel like you don't matter, that's a lie. You do matter. I am. Um, while you're telling, I'm 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 trying not to get emotional right now because I'm thinking about my father. And uh, when I came to my dad years ago, and I said, Dad, I'm I, I, I'm quit my job. I was a marketing director for a fortune 500 company. And my dad told me how stupid I was because life was good for me, making good money, you know, having nice things. And he says, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be a speaker. He goes, who in the hell is going to listen to you? Now, to this day, my dad is my hero. My dad just didn't understand about following dreams. Mm-hmm. He worked for one of the big three. He put his time in. He retired. He did all the right things for me as a child, but he didn't understand that I was different than he was. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people that you can't hold me down. Two years after that, my dad came and heard me speak for the first time. And... um like I said, I'm trying not to get emotional here, but uh, I, my dad walked up to me crying. 
And he hugged me and he says, now I know. Now I know why people pay you to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, uh, my dad was my biggest fan. Um, and that was one of those aha moments for me. Not aha like I showed you, but it was an aha like, wow, you saw something in me that you didn't realize that I mm-hmm. had in me. And um, and even up until the time that my dad passed away, I spoke that morning. My dad, um, he passed away, and um, you you know the business. I mean, people book us a year in advance sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a gig to do for Blue Cross Blue Shield the morning that I uh, buried my father that day. I had to speak, and. Uh, I didn't look at it as a negative. I looked at it as a positive. Like mm-hmm. my dad gets to watch me mm-hmm. speak for the first time. He got to go with me. He got to watch from the back room looking down upon me. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. I freaking nailed that. And at the very end of that presentation, and, 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 and this video is on my on my YouTube channel, but um, I say, you know what? Thank you to every single person who came and saw me today. You have no idea what I'm going through. And I told them. And there wasn't a a dry eye in the place. Mm-hmm. You have to surround yourself with good people, but sometimes you have to prove those That's people it. wrong. Yeah, absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with that. that. Use that as your motivation. Yeah, that that's one thing that you you learn as you're going through this is not everybody. You know, I remember when I first started talking about being a speaker. You know, it, it's something that you kind of have to convince yourself because you know that it's what you want to do. And you have to understand that some people are going to have to see some fruit on the tree before they want to buy into the tree. Yeah. You know, they're going to have to see some fruit and, and that's okay. Yeah, you know, that's, absolutely. that's them being human. That's them being normal. Uh, but you have to really make sure that not everyone's going to support you right away, but that doesn't mean that they're against you. Absolutely. It just means that you have to prove yourself to them. And like you said, you get to choose. You can either let it want to make you want to quit, or you can say, you know, they'll jump on board eventually. Okay, now let's jump ahead a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide mm-hmm. to share your story mm-hmm. and become a professional motivational speaker? Well, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, I listen to a lot of people and I, I, I heard I got, I got a thought process stuck in my brain for several years. And the thought process was, if you were a millionaire and you didn't have to worry about money, money was no, no object, what would you do on Monday morning? And then, so for me, it would be help people who are challenging, help people understand who they are. Now, money's no object what would you do Monday morning? Now go find a way to make a living doing that. So that, that was the first, the first, the first thought process that led it. And then as time grew on that, that pull got stronger and stronger where it quit being someday I have to do it. And it turned into, I have to do it. It has to happen. I'm never going to be who I want to be unless I'm doing that because I just feel that pull. Cause in a lot of ways, Johnny, the jobs I've had were in some cases easier. You hate to say it. I mean, they're, they're easier. It's easier to go on a bunch of clock or, or go manage a, manage a bunch of people. That's easier in some cases than doing what we do Yeah, because you're out there, you're, you're, you're vulnerable. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that this time we're here on this planet it is num The days are numbered. And, and I've seen a lot of people my age pass away of cancer or different things. And, and I realized that I don't want to be that guy who never did what he w- he felt led to do. So then I started to have conversations with my wife and say, look, this is what I want to do. And, and I don't know every step of the way, but I know this is the road. I don't know how to get there. I don't know all the all the corners and stuff coming up, but I know this is the road. Yeah. And, and so you make that decision and commitment to yourself. And it's a leap of faith in a lot of ways. But <laughs> that's definitely. A, yeah, it, it's a leap of faith. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, every job, no job is secure. No, absolutely no, not. No, no job is secure. No, no career is, is perfect. There's going to be challenges no matter what you do. The, in the, a lot of people that I talk to, they look at what you do or what I do, and they might think that it's easy yeah. or whatever, but that it's not work. And you, you know that's not true. Well, just like, it's just like today, you're like, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm like, 
Thank you for being late yeah. because I, you know, I had a photo shoot. I had a video shoot. Yeah. I had to prep for this. I'm leaving tomorrow for New York. Yep. I mean, it, it's constantly, you're constantly working, mm-hmm. constantly promoting yourself. And then, you know, I get home next week. I got to speak mm-hmm. on, on, on Thursday, then leave again on, on Friday or mm-hmm. speak on Wednesday, leave again on Friday. You know, the, it, it's constantly. So, so now you're, you're a speaker. Um, what do you bring as a speaker to your audiences? Well, what I bring to the audience, I, I like to, I help, I help them hear things that they've probably heard before mm-hmm. in a different way. So aha moments, that moment where you realize that you get to shape how you see yourself, that moment when you realize you get to see the world, how you choose to see it, you get to shape your own world. And I do that by sharing some of my stories and, you know, some of them are fun. Some of them are sad and we go back and forth, but ultimately I haven't found an audience yet that doesn't have people that can identify with, with what I'm going through. And, and my goal as a speaker is not to have an audience full of people say, someday I want to be like that guy. That's not my goal. Mm-mm. My goal is to say, that guy's just like me. Yeah. And if he, can, if he can go through all that and then have an awesome family, an awesome wife, and, and, and do well, I can do it too. Yeah. And, and, and that the passion that I have for those people, because I understand what they're going through on many levels. If they're the jock in high school, I gotcha. I understand. <laughs> if you're, if you're the, the, the kid on food stamps or the bridge card, I gotcha. I understand that you're struggling with obesity. You struggle with addiction. I understand a lot of those things. Yeah. In, in the moms, the housewives. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You clean the house. I just cleaned this house five minutes ago. Did we have an earthquake? Did we have an earthquake? There's toys everywhere. You know, and and that always, you know how you just sidebar on that. You know how that happens? Well, that what happens, Johnny, is you clean it up and then that happens right before your wife gets home. Right. And she's like, what? Wait, you didn't do nothing today? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it was just clean. You know, I'm I'm listening to you and and people often ask me, they're like, why are you such a great storyteller? Mm -hmm. How did you learn how to be a good storyteller? I said, I didn't, I didn't listen and watch anybody else. Mm Mm-hmm. I learned to be me. Yeah. I don't want to be another speaker. I mm-hmm. want to be me. Mm-hmm. People don't remember facts, figures, facts, figures, and principles. But if you put those facts, figures, and principles into a great story, subconsciously, the audience walks away going, aha. Mm-hmm. And you just talk to them. And people remember stories. They remember songs. They remember the simple things. Mm-hmm. And that's all we are. Yep. We're storytellers. We're yep. professional storytellers. Yep, absolutely. So, so do you remember your very first paid gig? And and how nervous were you? I was where when, when you now all of a sudden you were giving free presentations because I listen, I, I've been doing this for 20 years. So I know how to start this business. And I know how every speaker starts out. What was it like when somebody called you and said, Guess what? We're gonna hire you and we're gonna pay you. Yeah. I think I think there's 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 <laughs> to bring it into it to bring it into an analogy. It's something I talk about in my book. But you know, it's it's like you have you know two two different dogs living in your head, right? One of them is the fear dog, and yeah. one of them one of them is the um, faith dog. Yeah. And 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 which one's gonna serve? Which one's gonna win the fight? The one that you feed the most. Yep. And I will say that you've said this before on some of your other podcasts, and some of the other speakers you've had have said this. But the number one thing that that we struggle with when we're getting ready to walk on the stage is who am I to be up here talking to anybody? And the, when it was a paid gig, and and you know that people are gonna be watching, and you want it to go good there's a whole nother level of pressure there and you really start to fight who you are and you really start to challenge yourself. And my first time it was, it was almost terror and it was <laughs> almost terror. I'm laughing with you, not at you. This is like yeah. awesome. I, I, I love that because it's true. Yeah. The, the, the biggest fear in the world, look it up. It's public speaking. Yeah. People hate to talk mm-hmm. in front of other people. That's why when people are like, oh, it's you make it, it's so easy. All you do is talk for a mm-hmm. living. I said, here's the microphone. Mm-hmm. Do it. Yeah. It's not, and, so, and what we do too, in a lot of cases, you know, I mean, I, I, I've spoken, I've done a lot of public speaking in the workplace. You're doing, you know, training, HR training, all these different things. Yeah. That's one thing. Right. But to get up there and tell people you're, 
your your painful spots and to try to inspire them that's a whole nother level so let's of, get back uh, to, to to your first time yeah. and, and you're in terror yeah you're, you're you're terrified do you remember when they said Joshua Spears yeah. and you had to walk out on stage were you were, did you literally want to turn around yes <laughs> I wanted to go f- find a lake and jump in it right right yeah but but and ultimately you know, that still happens sometimes, you know, depending on the environment and the audience. It just happens. Sometimes. I tell people you better get nervous every time yeah. you take the stage because that one time that you don't, yeah. it's the one time you're going to fail. Yeah. You better be excited every time yeah. you take the stage. Because ultimately, it's a privilege to have that microphone. Absolutely. And to have their attention, to have their time. And you have just a certain amount and you might change change them. So, but yeah, you, ultimately, you have to realize, you know, you go from being in terror and all that stuff. And those voices are always there. Mm-hmm. But then you also get to the point of, I was built for this. I was designed for this. I'm here for a reason, and I'm going to have fun with it. And that changes everything. That mindset, you be, go from being scared and worried to saying, I might not say everything perfect, but they've never heard me before anyway. Right, exactly. So so what are the things that you speak on now, and who do you speak to? I've, I've spoke to a lot of different groups. I've spoke to cosmetology schools, the teachers. I've spoke at conferences. You know, usually the, most of the time schools have me come in for anti-bullying, suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. I've spoke at churches and special community events for churches. The concepts are all so relative. How you see yourself, how you see others, and how you see your future. That's Those are concepts and, and traps that we all fall into at all stages of life. But th- those are my typical audiences at this point is, you know, I do some some corporate stuff, but a lot of it is the high school, middle school education world. But then now I'm really starting to pick up a lot of steam with churches lately. How can people find you? Do you have a website? Yeah. www.joshuaspears.com. Spell that. www.joshuaspears.com. Are you on Twitter, Instagram, and all those other fun things? Yes. Okay, cool. And how do we find you there? Those links are all on my website. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So listen, as a speaker myself, at certain times in our lives, um, we speak in, in, um, we meet people that touch our lives and, um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you this because I have a couple that have happened lately that really has touched my life. We, I never realized that I was such an impact on, on their life, on their, uh, in their life. Have you had those people walk up to you and say, thank you? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And, and and do you have one now that, that that you're thinking of that just makes you smile and go, wow, they really they have no idea that they actually motivated me mm-hmm. by telling me. Yeah. I have a, a cousin who lives in Tennessee mm-hmm. and I always putting stuff out on social media and he always likes it or shares it or whatever. And I can't remember the last time I actually physically spoke to him. I would say it's probably been 15 years. And I he reached out to me and asked me for a link for one of my videos and I sent it to him and, and he said, you're doing great things. I appreciate it. And I said, thanks, man. I'm just trying to help. And he sent me back this message that was really long. And he says, Josh, you have no idea the type of it, the people that you're helping with what you're doing. I use your stuff all of the time with my employees and my coworkers. And I sound like I'm full of wisdom and I have to tell them that I'm just repeating what my cousin said. And and this is a guy I don't really know that well in the last, you know, 15 years growing up, I knew him. But my point is, is John, is I didn't know he was even in the audience. I didn't even know he was paying attention, but yet you're making an impact. And, you know, I, I get that a lot with social media and then, you know, you see different kids in the audience and then you run into them, you know, you're in this town speaking and then you're in that town for something else and you run into them at the store and they're like, Hey, you're that guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the greatest feeling in the world yeah, and you realize God, that i know yeah you we're at the airport they're like hey you're the motivational cowboy i'm like yeah, yeah i am yeah and and yeah so that's awesome man mm-hmm. um one thing i want to talk about is uh you have a new book coming out mm-hmm. talk about that what's the name of it it's personal revolution okay so the idea with the book is a lot of the things i talk about in the program are to create those aha moments how you see yourself how you see others how you see your future and and but in a lot of cases, people have those aha moments, that moment where they get it, they understand it, and, and they see something differently for the first time. So if I tell you about Disney World, and you're so excited about Disney World, Disney World is something that's just so amazing, and you hear about it for the first time, 
but how do you get there? Yeah. So personal revolution, it's not a biography in the sense that it's all about me, but I do use some stories to kind of walk people down a path on how to build a happy life, Yeah. how to understand who you are and your influences and how you see yourself and how you see your, and I pull from all the different readings that I've done throughout my life to fix myself. Awesome. And, and I give people something that they can go through. And there's a lot of sections in the book where I'm asking the reader, just like I do in my talks at, 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 all around is... I'm asking the reader to do some reflecting and to do some thinking. And there's spots where they got to write some stuff down and mm -hmm. they got to make some decisions throughout the book because I want to take them on a path. Um, and that, that's really, it's to really help give them something other than just the, the talk I'm doing to give yeah. them something to take it to the next Well, level. make sure everybody that's listening to this, stay tuned because and check out the website because yeah. it'll be coming out soon. Something that um, I also um, want to bring up, you have a blog mm -hmm. and... Um, let me tell you, young man, that blog is amazing. Um, I read a couple mm -hmm. of your uh, writings yesterday, mm -hmm. and they're very, very, very good. Um, talk about that. Is that now? Is that something like that is therapy for you? Yeah, yeah. I I was I was blogging a lot, and then I started working on the book a lot, uh, going back and forth. But it really is because you know, Johnny, if if you have a, if you're getting ready to run a marathon, you got to start running a little bit. So, we're getting ready to write this book. I started doing the blog because I felt like it was an opportunity to exercise those muscles <laughs> and to get you in that mindset. And then you put it out there, and then you start hearing people saying, "Oh, I I know I know what that's like." It's just another opportunity opportunity yeah. for you to give people something to try to help them. That's just another voice, another avenue that you can try to help somebody. That's the point of the blog. Josh, you inspire people. You motivate people. You make people feel good. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter where you go, where you speak, but who inspires and motivates and makes you happy mm. when you have those moments. And we all do listen. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how much money you make, what color you are. We have those moments that are low moments. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they, they, they come real fast and they leave real fast mm -hmm. and that's fine. But I know what it's like for me and what I do when I have those moments. What's it like for you and mm -hmm. who motivates and inspires and makes you happy when you have those moments? Well, faith is a huge part of who I am, but I would say as far as people... And I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm not saying it to get brownie points. I know I've joked about it a lot, but my wife, yeah, my wife is the wind beneath my wings. And my mother is a very- Can you sing that for me? Uh, yeah. And everyone's going to turn off your podcast. <laughs> she, no, she, that's awesome. That she, is so- So you, I mean, you basically married your best friend. I, I, I really, I have somebody that, that, that supports me, that believes in me. And, you know, a lot of times she tells me, you need to practice what you preach because I'll say something about myself that's not ideal. I'll be like, oh, I look like this or, oh, I need to do this. And she'll be like, she sees the best in me yeah. and, and I try to always see the best in her and I try to lift her up when she's having a bad time. But she really does always have my back and 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 she is uh she inspires me to work hard and she inspires me to be a better father and and I'm just so blessed to have her and and but yeah so it's more yeah. than just just someone to have in the house it's it's you no know, that's she, awesome it, it really gives me that fire of you can experience life with someone awesome Josh I mean we literally are over an hour right now and I just don't even want to turn off this podcast but I I, I want to wrap it up as professional speakers we all end our presentations with a poem, a story, something that wraps up our whole presentation into that one last thought. What is it for you? What story do you tell? What poem do you say to end your presentations? What's it about? Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mention it, Johnny, because you have all the circus stuff here at your house. It's actually a story about an elephant at the circus. But as I talk to the audience throughout the program and I'm asking them to write down things that they say to themselves that are negative, the things that are destructive and the audience members listening to this podcast, maybe take a minute and think about those things in your life that frustrate you about yourself, the things you say to yourself, the mistakes that you made, the relationship you may have ruined, the job you may have blown, different things in our life. And when I have them write that stuff down. Then I tell a story about a couple 
And the couple is a big fan of the circus. They love going to the circus. They like the trapeze artists. They like the animals, the whole, the clowns, the whole production. One thing that they find really interesting about the circus is the animals. So one day they go to the circus and they decide that they're going to go backstage to get a closer look at the animals. And when they walk up to this elephant, they're in shock because it's being held by a small rope tied to a stake. Now, this elephant is big enough to crush a house. It could rip that stake out at any time, but yet it's being held by that small stake and that rope. So they said, we got to get to the bottom of this. This doesn't make any sense. Why? How can this big monstrous animal being held, be held? Because at any time it could just take off. And they go to the trainer and they say to the trainer, how is it possible that this elephant is being held by this small rope? And the trainer says, well, what happens is the elephants that are born into captivity, they're taken away from their mother. And their rope's tied around their leg and they're tied to a tree. And while they're tied to the tree, they pull and they tug and they wail and they scream and they do everything they can do to break away. And eventually, they just give up. As soon as the elephant's given up, they take it back to its mother, they give it food, they give it nourishment, and they give it care. That elephant grows up all the while having that rope tied around its leg. That full-grown elephant is being held captive by the memory of its past pain. It's being held bondage by the frustration of its past. The mistakes that it's made are holding it in bondage. So to you, Johnny, to anybody who out there listening, we have to realize that we are that elephant. We're that big, strong, full-grown elephant. And the mistakes that we made in the past, the, the challenges that we have, the failures that we are dragging, we're, we're, they're holding us captive is the rope. And we have to realize that we have the power to break that rope. And as I pull the audience together, I have them all get their piece of paper. And Johnny wrote some of this stuff down earlier that he has on his sheet. And as a group, we all made decisions today. We made commitments to ourselves that today's the day we are done being held captive by the garbage on that piece of paper. And one, two, three, we are free. Doesn't that feel good, letting that stuff go? Actually, it does feel really good. Now it's in a million pieces. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my good friend, Joshua Spears. Thank you so much for coming to the Outstanding Life podcast and hanging out with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so Thank much you. for sharing your stories. And, and I want to remind all of you that you can get all of the Outstanding Life podcast at MotivationalCowboy.com. You can download them on SoundCloud, iTunes. I just want to wish each and every one of you an outstanding day. Be safe, have fun, and we'll see you next time right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Thank you again, Joshua. Thank you. Outstanding Life is a Soul Bridge Studio production.